Now, it's CSL, Charlotte Sports Live. Man, oh man, if you missed the NASCAR Cup Series ending from Atlanta, you not only missed this guy, our amigo Daniel Suarez winning, but one of the best photo finishes in recent memory. Plus, a first for Charlotte FC. They send a statement in their first season opening win in franchise history. We discuss who stood out most. And I'm Mike Lissette, and in just a few, I'll break down Carolina's biggest needs ahead of this week's NFL Combine. Welcome in to Charlotte Sports Live. Carly Gebhardt next to Grace Grill, and it is good to be back alongside you tonight. Uh, we will hear from Mike Lissette, who you just heard from, and we're also going to hear from Gabe McDonald here in just a second as well. Yeah, plenty of college hoops to get to tonight, as we always do on a Sunday night. Plus, NASCAR takes center stage in the ATL. Base rate, best race we've seen in a long, long, long time. time. But we start with the big thing happening this week for the NFL, and that would be the scouting combine. So the Panthers have plenty of prospects to look at and evaluate this week in Indy. 321 players total have been invited by the league, but who will be the first off the board? Unfortunately, the Panthers will not decide that this year. Their first pick painfully goes to Chicago in the deal that got them Bryce Young in last year's draft. But the Panthers do have the first pick of the second round, which is the 33rd overall selection. And it's a critical pick for a team with so many needs to fill. In total, the Panthers currently have six picks in April's NFL draft. And while Carolina is short on a first round draft pick, they are certainly no shortage of headlines going into the combine. For more on that, we turn it over to Michael Sett. Well, things are about to get interesting this week. I know we are going to be busy covering the combine in Indianapolis, but that is nothing compared to the workload facing Carolina's new management. On the surface, it would seem the Carolina Panthers are in a tough spot going into this week's NFL combine. Fresh off 2 and 15 season, they have some major holes to fill. And unlike in 2023, they don't have the luxury of having a first round pick, let alone the top pick they used last year to take Bryce Young. This is a huge day for me. But if you think new Carolina general manager Dan Morgan is sweating that deficiency, you better think again. I mean, we have the 33rd pick, which, you know, is essentially a late first round pick. Um, we're just going to draft good players. And that's because by the time it's the Panthers' turn to pick, a lot of talent and a variety of positions will still be available. The big question is, what type of player should a team take first? We need to find those leaders, those competitors, those dogs. Yeah, dogs. We get that. We also get the Panthers need a wide receiver. I'm talking about today. I want to win today. Then perhaps Dave Canales, priority number one, should be getting your franchise quarterback some help. Young took a ton of criticism last year, but in his defense, he didn't have much to work with. In fact, an aging Adam Thielen was the only Carolina player to finish in the top 50 in receiving yards. There's no storylines. There's no agendas. It's about good football. Hence why you also can't overlook the guys up front. The team's offensive line was supposed to be a strength last year. It wasn't, with a lot of the blame going to both Bradley Bozeman and Iki Iquanu. Panthers could use this as an opportunity to seek out their replacements. We have a lot of guys in the locker room right now that love football and are passionate, but we need to get more. Which is why, despite their success last year, Carolina is also looking to make some upgrades on its defense. Regardless of what happens to Brian Burns, getting another pass rusher is a must, as the Panthers finished dead last last season in the league at generating pressure on the quarterback. To put it simply, I think that we just have to we got to roll our sleeves up and we got to get to work. Couldn't have said it better because even though the NFL draft doesn't start until April, 
the Carolina Panthers are officially on the clock. Hopefully we will get some answers Tuesday. That's the day both Canales and Morgan are scheduled to speak to the press. All right, thanks, Mike. So we know the type of players that Carolina needs, and knowing that, the question now becomes, which of the prospects should we be watching this week? Gabe McDonald joins us now. And Gabe, you've jotted down a couple of names that we need to keep our eye on, right? Yeah, Carl, the Panthers ended the draft with a laundry list of needs, but only six draft picks currently at the moment. The Senior Bowl in the books, so now the coaches in front office will have another chance to get their eyes on prospects this week at the Combine. And right now, I'm going to give you my three players for the Panthers to watch out in Indy. First up, I have my eyes on the receiver spot. Carolina needs to put some more weapons around Bryce Young, like Mike alluded to, for him to be successful. Fortunately, this draft class is loaded at that spot, and I think Carolina should focus on Xavier Worthy out of Texas as a guy they could realistically get at 33rd overall. Worthy is dynamic in space and a true deep threat thanks to his speed. At 6'1 and 172, he has the ability to stretch defenses with his crisp route running and can track the ball well down the field. Worthy finished his college career with over 2,700 receiving yards and 26 touchdowns in three seasons. Bleacher Report has lines wide out Jamerson Williams as his pro comparison heading into the draft. Now you know I gotta show the big fellas some love. Carolina, they could use some help in the trenches on both sides of the ball. At the outside linebacker spot, I have my eyes on Alabama product Chris Braswell. Given the Panthers 3-4 scheme, Braswell's skills would be able to translate well given the fact he makes most of his plays from a two-point stand. And it's plays like this pick six coming up against Mississippi State that set him apart from others in the class. However, one thing Braswell will have to work on is being able to turn speed into power while getting after the quarterback. Bleacher Report has his pro comparison as Joseph Osai, who's been a solid rotational piece for Cincinnati. And last but certainly not least, we move back to the other side of the ball. On the offensive line, I got my eyes on Duke product Graham Barton at 6'5", 314. Barton has a great frame and experience playing multiple positions on the offensive line. He has 39 career starts and has spent time at both left tackle and center. And as you see here in the tape, Barton is quick out of his stance and has great lateral movement to help him get to the second level in the run game. And there are some areas in pass pro where he could improve, but Barton has shown to have a good initial punch in his pass sets. Bleacher Report has his pro comp as 2017 second round pick for Slam. So even though they do pick 33rd overall, they still have a lot of good players that they could get. There's some other names as well. Lad McConkey from Georgia. A lot of yeah. people are talking about him as a good slot receiver. Even a guy like Keon Coleman out of Florida State. So even though you're picking at 33rd, Dan Morgan said it's pretty much like having a late first round pick. There are going to be a lot of guys that can choose from. But I think the first priority, getting a weapon for sure at wide out. Yeah, I think the biggest thing here is that, you know, you don't get the freebie like the first round pick where you yeah. get that talent that you know, right. but you just have to invest in your scouting, right? Invest in that. And, and there's plenty of great players that come out of the, come out of the draft and no, come out of pick. So you just have to make sure you've got your eye on the right guys. Yeah. I'm also interested to see how the, the entire draft shakes out and, and these guys at the combine too. I mean, obviously we know that there needs to be yeah. with the Panthers those offensive weapons, but we still don't know what they're going to do with Brian yeah. Burns. So if they end Trades up trading, could be made. then yeah. maybe you need to then maybe defense becomes the top priority. I mean, you talk about local guys. I'm really excited to see how Pey a guy like Peyton Wilson performs yeah. at the draft just because we've seen him play at NC State and you know, he was in town for um the oh, it's up in my mind. The Buckets Awards that yes, were in town. Award, yeah. And um, you know, he was up for that, but just a lot of exciting players to watch also on the 
on the defensive side too if they decide to go that way. It just really comes down to the tape. The combine, these are guys running around in spandex. Like my old coaches used to say, what they do on tape, that's going to make the difference. But it's still good to get those measurables out too. And a lot of people are going to go after quarterbacks in this yeah. first round too. So that's going to leave a lot of weapons yeah. on the table for later. Yeah. Going to be interesting. Well, Charlotte Sports Live is headed back to Indianapolis this week for the NFL Combine. We'll be going live from the Circle City to bring you exclusive interviews with new Panthers coaches, staff, and possible draft picks. That's all get started Tuesday here on CSL. All right, well, we told you at the top of the show how good the Atlanta race was for the Cup Series today. Now we get to show you exactly what happened, and guess what? Didn't have to wait long for any action. Two laps in, the pack gets bunched up, and Austin Dillon, the three-car, spins out, causes one of the biggest wrecks we've ever seen at Atlanta Motor Speedway. 16 cars involved and several drivers done for the day. You never want to see this happen this early in the race, but let's go ahead and skip ahead to the end of the stage. Strong showing for Front Row Motorsports today. You had uh, guys like Todd Gilliland leading tons of laps, but it's his teammate Michael McDowell that picks up stage one right here. Then stage two had a little bit of everything, especially at the end when Joey Logano goes too high. He wrecks Chris Buescher and gets Denny Hamlin in the process. The 22 then has to head to the garage after having a pretty fast dark horse Mustang. Austin Sendrick wins stage two under caution. And then look, more wrecks in stage three. Hamlin bumps Chase Briscoe. Chase Briscoe day is going to get done and you got heavy damage to both the 14 and the 11 here. Five laps to go though. The current cup champ Ryan Blaney leading, but when they take the white flag, it's Blaney, it's Kyle Busch and Daniel Suarez battling, going three wide into the final turn. And this, my friends, is what you call a glorious photo finish with Daniel Suarez taking the checkered barely for his second cup series win. A great moment for Trackhouse Racing and that 99 team. But Daniel, just how close was it? It was so damn close, man. It was so damn close. You know, it was good racing. Ryan Blaney there, Kyle Busch, Austin Hendrick, Austin, Austin Hendrick, uh, Sendrick also was doing a great job giving pushes. In the back of the road where he didn't push me because he knew I was going to see me, but uh, man, what a job, you know. We wrecked lap two. The guy did an amazing job fixing this car. So, man, I can thank everyone enough. Trackhouse Racing, Freeway Insurance, Chevrolet, all the amazing fans here. Woo! Let's go! That's awesome. Now, this was the third closest finish in NASCAR Cup Series history. Saw the top five separated by tenth of a second. Suarez and Blaney were three one-thousandths of a second apart. Kyle Busch was seven one-thousandths off the 99 car. Has to rank as one of the top races in a very long time. And I love this. I kind of love it, hate it, because I know how much the drivers hate this track, right? Yes. Because of the repavement, the reconfiguration. But the fact that today was so entertaining for not only new fans, but for old fans alike. I mean, it was the new drivers, one Austin of the Hendrick. best. Yes, <laughs> one of the best races that we've seen. And now I'm excited because the playoffs start in Atlanta no, as well. And so. I think that seeing the wreck on, on lap number two, I already knew we were going to be yeah. in for a minute. If we already <laughs> are in caution on the second lap, we know how this race is going to end up. But what a moment for Daniel Suarez. We were talking about him yeah. as being on the hot seat coming into the season. Only one win coming in 2022. Now he proves he can win on an oval. He can win when you're going three wide. So just a really just a great moment for him. And his ties to Atlanta, really strong ties there with the MLS team. So it was good for him to be back there and get a dub today. A huge win for him for sure. I mean, what do you guys make of just I mean, this is the second, I mean, we're only in, in race two of the season, right. but the second straight race where we've seen a big wreck happen in the first 10 laps of the race. I mean, I think that's just 
par for the course with these. Atlanta is almost like a super speedway, and so that's why the drivers didn't love that this was one and two for for Daytona and then Atlanta right after. But it makes for a great storyline because now, yeah, we've got these two winners. A lot of people didn't predict Suarez to win this yeah. year, um, and so your playoff bracket could already be busted even now. That is true, and then even you got to look at the end of the season. I know Darlington was the playoff opener, so now you have that race coming as guys trying <laughs> to point their way in or a new winner. Then you go to Atlanta for the first playoff race. Going to be a thrilling towards the end, end of the season, but of course, a really good start to the season so yeah far. 47 lead changes as well that's also a track record at Atlanta today well the Hornets are gonna <laughs> hope for a better start to the end of their season or finish their season strong rather than start the Hornets still on the west coast this weekend game three of their four game trip in action right now in Portland we will get a score update on the other side of the break and Ryan Blaney is living the life of a NASCAR Cup Series champion but he's had a lot happen in his life off the track too you can catch my sit down with him next Charlotte Sports Live returns. All right, back here on CSL, your Charlotte Hornets in action right now out in Portland. They just wrapped up the third quarter with Charlotte leading by 11, 70 to 59. Nick Richards and Brandon Miller leading the way with 13 points apiece. Miles Bridges with 12. Well, your reigning Cup Series champion Ryan Blaney finished second by literally a hair today in Atlanta. It's not the first time he's been a part of a close finish before either, but it has been quite the whirlwind of an offseason for last season's Cup Series champ. He sat down with me before Daytona to tell all. I'm just a 30-year-old guy who just drives in circles, you know, and everything else is just uh, I'm the same as, same as the next person. Although that may be true after the 2023 season, Ryan Blaney is also a NASCAR Cup Series champion. Ryan has just crested the mountain of all wins. What an unbelievable year. What an unbelievable playoffs for us. So what does a driver do after winning a championship? I'll tell you what they don't do. Sleep. Post-championship, right, that night, Sunday night, we had a great celebration with my group. Uh, and yeah, the next morning we headed out right to New York. A lot of shows, went to NASDAQ, like just a lot of stuff that maybe I didn't really, was like, oh, that's interesting, we're going there, but it was, it was neat to do and definitely something I would like to do again. I'm not going to complain about those 48 <laughs> hours after because they're hard to recreate. Those first few days were full of big moments, but the rest of his offseason was as well. Not only did he turn 30, but he got engaged to his longtime girlfriend, a moment that was planned well in advance. I had a split in June. Like I already knew I wanted to do. It wasn't because you won a championship. No, I, I had people asking me like, "Well, you won the championship. Did that make you want to propose?" I'm like, "No, I planned on doing this. This that was just the cherry on top." Make it official. You know, it was interesting because I never really had someone like that. You know, someone I can really enjoy life with and go through life with. And when you find someone like that, you know, it's just you appreciate it. Gianna said yes, and Blaney said yes to NASCAR, using his championship offseason to promote the sport saying yes to appearances, interviews, and anything else to drive the conversation back to NASCAR. To me, in my mind, it's a win-win for everybody, right? Because I want the sport to be healthy because I want to be in the sport for a long time. So um, I think it's just building towards, you know, growing yourself, growing the sport, and then leaving it better than when you were a part of it. All right, time for the quickest two minutes in all of sports. We call it Quick Six here, where we throw six questions out in 120 seconds time. And, of course, we've got Gabe McDonald rejoining us for this. Gabe, 
Let's let you start us off tonight. Uh, Charlotte FC obviously opened the season with a win, but what stood out most about their performance yesterday? I think just seeing how aggressive they were. That's something that Dean Smith talked about all preseason, just how much different of a brand of soccer that they were going to play. We saw that from the jump, scoring a goal right there in the eighth minute of the match. So it was good to see them attacking a lot more, but also the back line of the defense really helped strong as well. So pretty good recipe for success so far, only one game. I thought you were going to say Christian Kalina's hair. I didn't even recognize <laughs> him. I was like, is that him in net? <laughs> All right, Grace, if the Hornets can keep momentum to end the season like they have the last couple of games, will that save Steve Clifford's job? Gosh, I think it should. I, I think Steve Clifford is a great coach, and he finally just has guys in there that just want to go out there and play and buy into defense. The only thing that I have against Steve Clifford is that he's a Mets fan. Oh, that's a pretty good reason, though. All right, Gabe, what's the most exciting position to watch at the NFL Combine? Even though I'm a former fullback there, we're kind of a dying breed, and I play D-line as well, but I got to go with the receivers. To seeing how fast they are, these typically the guys running the fastest 40s, going through the gauntlet as well, all the different routes that they're running. Receivers, not just saying it because that's what the Panthers need, <laughs> but they're also fun to watch as well just when you're watching the combine. I really thought you were going fullback with that one. <laughs> all right, Gray, spring training alive and well right now. What do you pay attention to the most this time of year when you're watching your team? Me personally? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. All I wanted to see was Juan Soto and that, <laughs> and that Soto shuffle in, a, uh, in, in pinstripes, and it's been glorious so far, and I just wanted to see if the Yankees get hit, and so far it looks like they can, which is a great sign. All right, Gabe, this is more of a fill-in-the-blank yeah. question. After going to the Daytona 500 last week, you have a bigger appreciation for what this NASCAR Ooh, season? This is, a, this is a pretty loaded question. I'd probably have to go just speaking of what goes down during the race, probably the pit crews. This is yeah. how much of a difference those pit stops can make. Obviously, that money stop there at the end. You can lose positioning. You can gain positioning. Definitely what they're able to do in a short amount of time. Got a much uh, more respect for them. For sure. All right, Grace, if you were a NASCAR driver, what sponsor would you want as a primary on your car? <laughs> Any, anything. I mean, um, it literally can be anything. I feel like it would be something like, I don't know, like William and Sonoma. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> Lancome or De Linen and candles. Yeah. Like, where yeah. can I get good linen? That would be, would be all over my car. <laughs> all right. Well, we are going to now check in on the hometown team here in a little bit. Charlotte 49ers with several teams in action over the weekend. We'll let you know how they fared on the court and the diamond next. And speaking of the Niners, you could be in control of their team virtually pretty soon. The update that's got football fans and gamers going crazy. That's on the way. Oh, rough day for the Tar Heel women. They were on the road taking on number eight Virginia Tech. Carolina outscored 21-5 in the first quarter, and they really just could never recover from that first quarter. Deja Kelly with a valiant effort, though. She had a career-high 29 points for the Heels. Lexi Donarski was the next highest score for the Heels with 10 points. But, man, they didn't stand a chance against Tech's Georgia Amore and Elizabeth Kelly on their senior day. Those two nearly outscored Carolina themselves with a combined 53 points with 19 and 34, respectively. Carolina falls 74-62 to the Hokies. The Tar Heels back in action Thursday at Boston College. And Duke women's basketball is having a pretty big week themselves after knocking off 17th-ranked Syracuse on Thursday. The Blue Devils took down 6th-ranked NC State today at Cameron Indoor, 69-58. to Charlotte native Reagan Richardson and Kennedy Brown, each with 15 points in this one. Duke will host Virginia on Thursday before closing out the regular season with a rematch at UNC on Sunday. Meanwhile, the number one team in the country continued to hurt some feelings today. The Gamecocks improved to 27 
and to nothing this season with a 103 to 55 win over Kentucky today. It was the sixth time this season that Don Staley's squad has reached the century mark. This win also sealed the SEC regular season title for the Gamecocks after they clinched a share of it on Thursday against Alabama. Bree Paul led the way for South Carolina with 18 points. She was just one of six Gamecocks in double figures scoring today. South Carolina going to be back in action Thursday at Arkansas. And meanwhile, both the Charlotte men's and women's basketball teams were in action yesterday, and both programs really poised to make a run in conference and really their first in the American this year. Yeah, but different stories for these two programs the past week. The men starting to lose a little bit of momentum, while the women, they're starting to pick it up. So the Niners picked up a big win over Wichita State yesterday, defeating the Shockers 74-48. to It's the second straight win for the Niners, who are currently tied for sixth in the conference with UAB. Charlotte has a bye this week with just two more games left in the regular season. So they will travel to Boca Raton to face Florida Atlantic at noon on Sunday. And then they will return home to close out the season at Halton against East Carolina. Charlotte head coach Kara Consuega excited about how her team is trending at this point in the season. It's just great to see our team really come together. I mean, I think our last two games has been some of the best basketball that we have played. Uh, we've played with fantastic energy. We've played collectively. You know, for us to have 21 assists on 25 shots just speaks volumes to what we've been trying to build with this team, uh, to play together, um, to share the ball, uh, to utilize everybody's strengths. And I thought we did that at a really high level today. And as a result, you know, we got a really significant win. Now, meanwhile, the men's team suffered its second straight loss on Saturday, losing a heartbreaker to Tulsa. The Niners fell to the Golden Hurricane 69-67 after leading for over 27 minutes to Tulsa's five minutes with the lead. Now, head coach Aaron Fern said his team just completely lost its rhythm in the second half. With the loss, Charlotte falls to third in the American Conference, but will have a big opportunity on Saturday when the Niners host first place South Florida. That game scheduled at 4 p.m. at Halton. All right, Charlotte baseball in action today with a chance to split the weekend series with West Virginia. And this has been the story all weekend with West Virginia getting out to an early lead. You see it happen right there. Charlotte gets it going in the bottom of the fourth, however. Runner on third for Renee Lastris. Base hit to right, and that will bring in Noah Furch. And the Niners, they get themselves on the board. All right, bottom of the eighth now. West Virginia with a 5-1 lead. He's back. Renee Lastris, he went two for four today with two RBIs. That would bring in his second of the day. And we stay in the eighth inning. Base is loaded for Johnny Sutrick. He pops it up. You're thinking, oh, that's it. But West Virginia Sam White loses it in the sun. And that is a bases clearing triple for Sam White. Charlotte would take the lead six to five. The freshman Joseph Taylor in to close it out. And he gets him to chase a breaking ball. And Charlotte splits the weekend with West Virginia with a 6-5 win. Niners back in action Tuesday at the Hayes for a midweek matchup with Wofford. All right, so we're pretty sure, we're pretty sure the Panthers won't let Brian Burns go to another team. What we aren't sure about is how they plan to keep him. The NFL's new salary cap, though, may shed some light on that. We're talking Panthers free agency just ahead. And this was a pretty hot topic last night after the Wake Forest-Duke game. Should court storming be banned? We ran a poll last night on our Twitter account, and it was pretty tight. tight. Almost 53% said no, it should not be banned. 47% of you said it should be banned, so pretty close there. We'll tell you what we think about it coming up.
Back here on Charlotte Sports Live. Man, this caused quite the controversy last night. Wake Forest upsets Duke 83-79 at home. Fans stormed the court, and in doing so, Duke forward Kyle Filipowski gets injured by a fan, and we would later learn that he suffered a sprained ankle. And so this only further fueled the argument that court storming should be banned. Here's Duke head coach John Shire's comments about it after the game. Disappointed we lost, uh, but look for me, it's I'm more concerned about the the well-being of our guys. You know, Flip sprains his ankle. When are we going to ban court storming? Like, when are we going to ban that? Like, how many times does a player have to get into something where they get punched or they get pushed or they get taunted right in their face? And it, it's a dangerous thing. I don't know, Coach, but here's what ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips' response was after the game. He said this in a statement. He said, quote, safety of our student athletes is always our top priority. We have been and will continue to be in contact with both Duke and Wake Forest regarding what happened following today's game. He continued, across college athletics, we have seen far too many of these incidents that put individuals at serious risk, and it will require the cooperation of all, including spectators, to ensure everyone's well-being. So, flat out, just should court stormings be banned, yes or no? If it's a yes or no question, what do you say? I say no. I say no. Yeah. Are you kidding me? This I, is part like, of it's part of, like, are you going to ban the field, like, field storming, like, when people win? And, like, I always hated when they made you stop taking down the field goal posts. Like, I love that. I love yeah. the video of that, of, like, fans just being so immersed with their team and the love of their team that they're, the emotion of that. Now, can they maybe put in some safety type, regulations to maybe try to keep the athletes safe I don't even like know what yes that looks like though yeah but like if a yes or no question no but can they maybe try to help keep everyone safe in those i'm sure there's some conversations that need to happen for that but like how do you yeah how do you regulate it it's the big you question. know and then I, I saw a comment that somebody made where it was okay well let's let's wait until the players get off the court and i'm like you, the moment's gone yeah like that's the point <laughs> of college athletics is yeah. that you're in the moment you feel it you rush i think more so we always want to put the blame on the spectators which it needs to be a joint effort for everybody like right. if the player the players knew that was coming you yeah. just got upset away an in-state foe and, and, and he's kind of like walking off the court. I'm not blaming him for getting hurt, hurt by any means. Don't come after me about that. But like, you know it's coming. Let's rush. Let's get out of there. Yeah. You just can't mess up college athletics with things like this. No. Okay, well, Charlotte fans and avid gamers like Gabe McDonald can rejoice because the 49ers, <laughs> they are in the game. And now the bigger question is, what do we mean by that? Yeah, so Gabe, you can explain to us because I know you are just <laughs> filled with excitement over this game being back. Oh, absolutely. EA Sports made me happen <laughs> in February of 2021, right around my birthday that year that the game was returning. And ever since then, I've been on 10. It's been a long wait, but now the wait is down to just months for the game to make its long awaited return after an 11 year hiatus. I was 16 when this game came out, guys. EA Sports, College Football 25 set to drop this summer, and your Charlotte 49ers confirmed on Thursday that they will be in the game. In fact, all 134 FBS programs will be included. With us now living in the NIL era in college football, players have the chance to opt in to being in the game. If they do so, they'll get $600 and a free copy of the game. Now, players have a deadline of April 30th to decide if they want to opt in or not, and quite a few have already done so already. We caught up with Charlotte Assistant AD of Marketing, Nick Montfret, this week, and he touched on how Charlotte's athletic department will assist its players throughout the process. We can help them understand them and explain them, um, you know, and I think it, it's a great opportunity for anyone really to to have your, your brand associated with um, 
you know, such a premier game that people hold in, in really high regard and have some really good, great memories from as kids. Um, so I, I think it's a really cool opportunity, um, but it, it's a decision that they're all going to have to make on their own on, on if it makes sense for them. A full reveal of the game is set for May with a release set for some time in July. Guys, back to you. I don't think I've ever heard you be so excited to, to report on something, Gabe. All right, back to the Carolina Panthers. The future of outside linebacker Brian Burns remains a big topic of conversation. Expect to hear a lot of chatter about it in the Indy Combine coming up this week. Burns has made it clear that he would like to stay in Carolina, but he and the team have yet to agree on a long-term deal, at least publicly. Carolina will likely use their one franchise tag on him, which is valued at $24 million for linebackers. Burns had, remember, eight sacks this past season, which is the second lowest of his career. And Burns is one of 21 unrestricted free agents on the Panthers' current roster. So plenty of decisions ahead for Dan Morgan and that front office. We do have clarity this week on how much the team will have to spend. The NFL salary cap is set at a record $255.4 million per team. That's a 13.6% increase over last year's cap and the largest jump, jump from year to year since the cap was first introduced in 1994. SMA gives the Panthers around 38 to 40 million in spending with flexibility. So this is honestly- this is like a pity thing because the Panthers were, were so bad that they needed this extra help. Like just, we got to bump it up. I don't know. I think it's just, <laughs> I think it's a great situation for them. A lot, yeah. And a great situation for a lot of teams. And honestly, I think we've kind of been arguing for more money because of the way that the yeah. contracts and the salaries have been getting bigger and bigger over time for certain players, yeah. a lot of teams do need that flexibility. No, absolutely. I mean, when you look at all these quarterbacks, I mean, the base salary for a QB right now is pretty much $40 million right. after their rookie contract. Fortunately, the Panthers are in a situation where they have a QB on their rookie contract, which have, as we've seen across the league, that's when teams want to build their team in order right. to make these runs, yep. like your Brock Purdy in San Francisco. But I think when it comes to Brian Burns, I think it's likely going to be a franchise tag, possibly a tag and trade situation. Now, you're not getting two first-round picks like the Rams are offering. You might be able to still get one, but I do think they use a franchise tag on them. But as far as other priorities, I think Frankie Louvu and the extension on Derrick Brown are some big priorities this So offer. I'm really interested about why why you're so – because, I mean, I'm not saying that that is, that is yeah. definitely an option that they could tag and trade him, but you are very adamant that, like, that is a big possibility where I'm thinking I would do everything possible to keep him because he's already been a part of this unit. And you, you want a guy that you drafted – I think that looks good for the franchise when you have a guy that – drafted that right. can stay through why why do you think there's that that value in, in I think towards him? the end of the season we saw him get a little disgruntled I mean you look at him obviously coming out in that Atlanta game we were there he came out had a great first quarter and he's really just you know displaying with that raw emotion I think he's a guy that really wants a fresh start at this point in his career I know he's talked about wanting to be here in Carolina but I think he said it after the locker clean out he's prepared for whatever things go if it's a fresh start or staying here he's kind of mentally prepared for what's next I think they might move you on. think it's more on him that he's yeah. over it yeah. all right Interesting. We will see at least one day soon. All right. Well, preparations are well underway for the 2024 U.S. Open Championship in Pinehurst. Tickets are moving fast for this, and so are the hotels. Why folks are booking hundreds of miles away from the tournament. That's next on CSL. All right, well, we've got good news for golf lovers. The U.S. Open Championship is just four months away. That's right, but time is running out to book rooms to see the tournament on a historic North Carolina course. This year's tourney will be played at Pinehurst Number 2 in Moore County, which has hosted three other U.S. Opens. Justin Moore looks at the demand to see the world's best golfers.
A big game. It's, it's going to be a big week. Uh, about a quarter million people expected here for the week of the U.S. Open. Phil Wurz is the president and CEO of the Convention and Visitors Bureau here in Moore County. Do you think Pinehurst is ready for a crowd that size? Yeah, like I said, we, we've done this before. We're used to the drill. Hotel rooms are already full in Moore County. While there's a limited number of home rentals available, they're going for at least $6,000 per night. A lot of those rooms are, have already been uh, reserved. He says not National media, the USGA and vendors booked most of the rooms a year ago. You, you're more than likely might have to stay out of market or just outside of Moore County. That means many people will have to stay places further away like Raleigh and Fayetteville during the week-long event. It's expected to have a $300 million economic impact statewide. Part of the green at Pinehurst is already being shut down to start moving in equipment for one of golfing's biggest world stages. I remember last year, the, the week of the U.S. Open in June was about 75 degrees. So uh, if Wes can work on that and your weather staff can make sure that happens, that would be outstanding. In Pinehurst, Justin Moore. All right, well, brackets are set for the boys and girls high school basketball tournament on the boys' side. And 4A, here's our top local seed, Myers Park is top dog, followed by two-seed Lake Norman. Weddington is a three-seed. Isaiah Evans and North Meck are a five-seed. And Wataga is the eighth. All right, in the 4A on the girls' side, Wataga is the top seed. Like the boys, Lake Norman is a two-seed. Charlotte Catholic is three. Myers Park at fourth, and Marvin Ridge the sixth seed. The first round of the playoffs gets going on Tuesday. And a Lake Norman High School senior is the three-time North Carolina girls wrestling champion, and she is working to get more girls suited up and on the mat. Queen City News reporter Shakira Speaks sat down with the gold medalist about her love of the game and her push to make it more accessible. You're looking at a champion who's won the North Carolina State Wrestling Competition three times in a row. And yes, she's a girl. I got to win. You can't let anybody take what you are, like deserve, what you earn. It's been eight years since Kaylee Sudrath formed her love for wrestling, from the fundamentals and techniques of the game. I really love my, uh, my underhooks. To the uniform and the gear. She says she can't see her life without it. When you step into that mindset, it's just, you got to change. You change from being like, okay, like these are my friends. These are like girls that I've wrestled with. I've known them. But like right now, these are not my friends. These are my enemies. While she and other girls had the competitive drive and ambition to take on a unique sport, it wasn't always accepted as a varsity sport for girls. Sudrath was one of the main athletes working behind the scenes to get state varsity recognition for the sport. She says she wants other girls to know that wrestling isn't just for guys. It made me feel really great to be a part of something that's bigger for myself and that can provide an outlet for girls that are looking for something that's a little bit more competitive, a little bit more combative. Oh yeah, I felt great. So having like numbers and showing people that it's a real thing and getting the word out about it is very important so that it can garner more attention and it can garner more people and show that it's a really has a presence in North Carolina. It felt even greater to win gold in this year's state competition in front of a larger crowd than normal cheering her and other female athletes on. It's a perk that came with being recognized as a varsity sport, something she hopes other girls can experience soon. It's just different when you're on a stage like that and you can you can win for like them and yourself and just prove that no one's going to take that from you. Shakira Speaks, Queen City News. All right, well, just like that, we are through two weeks of the NASCAR regular season. Up next, we'll look back at the two races that happened yesterday in Atlanta. So keep it here. You're watching Charlotte Sports Live.
Well, Jesse Love's name is already one to be familiar with this season in the Xfinity Series. He won the pole in Daytona and Atlanta. That's the, he's the first to do so in the Xfinity Series in the first two career starts. Not only that, but he dominated last night in the race, in the Xfinity Series race, leading 157 of the laps and two stage wins. The only problem? Well, he didn't have enough fuel to finish the race. And in overtime with two left to go, no gas for love. And that makes way for RCR's Austin Hill. He won last week in Daytona, and it makes it back-to-back -back trips to Victory Lane. His third win in his home state, the Georgia boy, gets it done. How about that? All right, earlier on Saturday, the Truck Series hit the track in the Freight 208. We picked the action up in the third and final stage, and you're going to watch the man sitting in fourth. That's Bailey Curry in the 41 truck. Part of his roof comes off. A caution would come out the debris from the on the track and but he would he would go on to Thunder. race even with the yeah <laughs> Gabe called it a craftsman convertible yesterday yeah. I thought that was good all right later in stage three under 10 laps to go Kyle Busch running in the number seven for Spire Motorsports he takes the inside lane coming out of turn one to pass Kai Majeski for the lead and it was a lead that he would keep over the final seven laps he takes the checkers in the freight 208 in Atlanta he now has 230 career wins across NASCAR's top three series That's a lot of wins all right, back to the Xfinity series, though. They'll see a brand new TV deal next season to highlight the talents within the series, and that includes their current champ, Cole Custer. That's right. We caught up with him during the offseason to talk about all the changes coming for the series and all the changes that are already impacting the team that he races for. Last season was a special one for you. Just talk a little bit about that. You've had some time to reflect now in the offseason of, of just how special that was. Yeah, it was huge. I mean, getting that championship, I mean, it's something you dreamed of since you were a little kid, you know. So being able to, to win that, and um, it takes a lot of pressure off, a lot of relief. But at the end of the day, you have to show up this year and be ready to go. You know, we have to go over the details, make sure we're ready, um, because these guys, uh, you know, they're going to be coming after you. You know, they're going to be going out there and trying to win every single race. So we got to make sure we're ready and prepared to, to go and uh, try and win another one. And there's a lot going on with the Xfinity Series, too, just thinking about the media rights in the coming years and just the, the attention that that series is getting. How exciting is that? Um, it's something we all look forward to. We hope we can really blow this thing up big because um, the Xfinity Series is an amazing series. We have the young guys. We have the veteran guys. Um, the cars are racy. We're slipping and sliding around sideways all the time, and it's just a, a great series to be a part of. So hopefully we can uh, keep it going. And Stuart Haas is now rebranding as well. How exciting is that to just kind of see maybe a, a new face for this this team? I think it's exciting, um, and it's something we needed, I think, a little bit. Having a lot of new faces and rebranding, I think it's just it makes you go over some details, really be able to rejuvenate some things, and hopefully it leads into some, some success on the track because you have so many different perspectives now and um, being able to bounce ideas off each other. So hopefully it all uh, comes to fruition. Winning, you know, the Cup Series, obviously the Xfinity had a full sweep in the Truck Series this past year as well. What do you see with Ford right now that makes you excited to be a part of it? It's just, it's a great group to be a part of. They're a family company. Um, seeing Etzel Ford at the track and everything, you know, he's, you know, you just know that they love racing. It's what they're passionate about. We're very lucky to be a part of the Ford sweep. You know, last year, we'll say that till the day we die, you know, <laughs> that we were a part of that sweep. And um, it's a really cool thing to be a part of. And um, we just keep wanting to keep push things forward for Ford. And, and Ford not necessarily dominating, at least early in some of the series, uh, but to end up on, on the winning side of things by the end, what does that say about just the the process that everybody's going through to work together? Well, I think it, it takes a strong group. You know, when you're not where you want to be, 
being able to turn things around in the middle of a season is not easy. I think you saw in all three series with the champions, I think uh, we all made, made the most of it when it really counted. Well, since everybody wants to go somewhere warm in the winter, we're headed to Mexico for our QC crowns and a little bit of golf. Stick around for a pretty cool story about a first-time PGA Tour champion. That's next on TSL. Guess what, everybody? Your Charlotte Hornets are back in the win column, beating the Trailblazers tonight 93-80. to They've won five out of their last six since the trade deadline. Nick Richards led the way for Buzz City with 21 points and 10 boards. Miles Bridges also had a double-double with 18 and 10. Man, we don't even need to give out crowns. We could just give it to the Hornets tonight. Uh, but we do have two extra crowns going out. Grace, you start us off. All right, we're going to go to the ice. My crown tonight going to the Charlotte Checkers. They picked up a big win tonight over Lehigh Valley, winning 6-3 to three over the Phantoms. This is the third consecutive game that the Checkers have scored at least five goals. They are currently in fifth place in the AHL Atlantic Division standings. Love that for them. I know. All right, well, mine goes to Jake Knapp, who won the Mexican Open today for the PGA, if you watch this. Here's why he gets my crown though. Also, he won, but two years ago, he ran out of money while trying to qualify for the PGA Tour. So he became a bouncer at a nightclub to save up money. And uh, money's not gonna be an issue because today's payout, almost one and a half million dollars. And his win also gets him into the Masters in April. So that's huge. Congratulations to him. I know. All right, that'll do it for us tonight. See you back here tomorrow night.